you mind if I take my shoes off because I just really like not having my shoes on? Thank you so much. If you do mind, I'm sorry. So do you just love the presence of God and the healing that's resting on this house? I do so much. I don't ever want to take it for granted that we have a God who has graced us with such an amazing spirit of healing in this house, and I just want to thank him so much. Um, This morning I get to talk about ministry, which is really close to my heart, so I'm very excited about that. And I want to take us through what ministry has looked like from where we came from and where we're where we are now and where we're headed. Is that going to be okay with y'all? Okay. Let me pray. Father, I just thank you so much for the revelation and the clarity that you are pouring out, not just here, but all over the world. And I just thank you for your people that we would grab hold of that which you took hold of us for that we would see the truth of who we are in you. Father, would you just come and anoint me with your spirit and the things you want to say this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I've been here a long time, over 22 years. And when I first came, I sat back just like many of you in the very back, and I used to cry through all of worship. Just cry, 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 and get healed. And I just kind of navigated into the inner healing that we had in the house at the time. It was a model called Elijah House. It was founded by John and Paula Sanford. And the Lord showed John and Paula a lot of awesome things. But just like that model and many other models through the years, it wasn't really always clear How we were ministering. Are we ministering to the new man? Are we ministering to the old man? What is actually happening here? And that lack of clarity is kind of what I want to talk about this morning. I've heard a lot of people ask me, what is inner healing? And why do we need it? Well, inner healing is kind of a misnomer because it really isn't about healing as much as it is about sanctification. And what sanctification is, is it's setting apart to holiness. It's setting something apart to be sacred for the use of it. And so inner healing is really just that. It is the process of being set apart in our thinking, in our thoughts, in our beliefs, in our actions. Someone that says, well, doesn't the Holy Spirit do that, Dee Dee? Yes, indeed. The Holy Spirit is the one who sets us apart. We cannot do any of it of our own. Then why do we need to have a ministry of inner healing? Well, I think the Holy Spirit pretty much does everything we do in ministry across the board. But he partners with us, he uses us, he flows through us in relationship to one another as we move in any ministry. It is the reconciliation, the ministry of reconciliation. And so an inner healing ministry is about reconciling what Christ has done and walking that out. 
you know, we used to have one-on-one counseling here. We didn't call it counseling. It was prayer ministry. And we had a year-long wait for people to get in. Now, if you're in crisis, I'm sorry, but about next year at this time, we can fit you in. It was extremely dysfunctional. But that's how many people were in need of it, and that's what the capacity we had to fit them in. And Carla Danke would head the prayer ministers and get them all. We have an awesome team of freedom warriors, prayer warriors. And we would explore all different models, and we would give it our best shot. We'd throw every tool we had toward people, and we saw the Lord do amazing things. A prayer session is when you sit down and you ask people different questions and you're listening to what the Holy Spirit is saying. And then you just kind of ask the questions until the lights come on and the Holy Spirit connects the dots internally. And and so we saw amazing things. We saw powerful healing. I'm not diminishing what has been... um, We saw powerful healing because when we first believe, we're born again and we have an incorruptible seed in us and that spirit man is going to resonate with what the Holy Spirit is saying, no matter what. But there was a fuzziness about how we go about doing this transformation thing. It had to do with what is the old man and what is the new man. So where in our hearts do we identify with the old man? And where in our hearts do we identify with the new man? Let me just read Ephesians 4. I'm going to read a lot of scripture this morning, so I just hope you just hang in there with me. It's really important that we see what the scripture has to say over what I'm talking about. Ephesians 4, 17-24 says, this, is, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness and greediness. But you have not learned so in Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So the old man versus the new man. Is it something like we used to have a stony heart and now God's given us a heart of flesh that's pliable and workable? Yes. Is it the old sin nature in us? Yes. Is it the way we have habitual patterns of thinking about things? Yes. So then the new man is this new heart that's pliable, 
that's created in God, perfect, holy, according to God, it's been created. And this is what we get to put on. So when I just read that scripture, I'm just wondering if what comes up in any of us is I need to try harder to be good because i got to put that dang thing on. Because if anything comes up in you that says, I just need to be more willful, I need to make better decisions, I need to do this, then we are still in the blurriness of what we're talking about. It is by grace and empowered by the Spirit that we do this. And if we think we can do it of our own, then we're still in a veiled cloud. And that's why we haven't gotten a lot of traction with inner healing. There's been incredible things. I I have so many awesome stories to tell you. And again, I am not diminishing where we've come from. But I know there's something more. I, I had a dream once, and there was a scroll that came and unfolded, and it said, jet us to a place of perfect. That's not my kind of language. I don't use that language. It, there was writing that unfolded as I had it, and I didn't know what it was. Three months later, I had another dream. It said exclusively for 411. I didn't know what any of that was. And I was seeking the Lord about it. And I was late to a conference in the shower, and I said, just give me the 411. What is the 411? And immediately Ephesians came into my mind. Well, that's interesting. If you've ever read Ephesians 411. Because it is the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry until we all attain to one faith and one spirit to a perfect man. So I've just had these little things in my spirit all along trying to see through the veil. What are we talking about here? Most of inner healing models that we have worked with in the past actually don't clarify that it is the new man that we are ministering to. It's not that it's spoken out so much, but because we don't get it, we end up trying to raise up the old man and get the old man fixed. Well, that's just ridiculous because the old man has been crucified with Christ. Why would we pull it out of Christ and try to fix it? That might sound so simple, but you see, that is the truth of how it has worked. Let me read to you Colossians 2, 6 through 14. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, 
according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your trespasses and the circumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Amen. <laughs> yeah, baby. Okay, that's awesome. It is finished. We can say that we understand that it is finished and then go about living our lives as if it were not. I think this is really just common. Or we get it in some area of our life and then lo and behold, we don't get it in others. This is the ministry of inner healing. It's really the ministry of our heart believing what God says is true. Internally. Let's look at Romans 6, 5 through 12. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, Certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its Lust. Okay, now, when we read that scripture, uh, 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 yes, I know this. But what I want to ask and what I want to visit is have we reckoned the issues that are growing in our lives where we see brokenness or where we struggle, have we reckoned that crucified with Christ? Have we identified that issue in Christ, on the cross, baptized into his death, and identified it there. In the midst of this inner healing time, I had this dream, and I had a dream that I was sitting at the feet of Abraham Lincoln, and he says to me, knowing about something, or someone, rather, is not the same as knowing them. See, at the time, the Lord was trying to help me sign language with me. 
It's not about what you know about. It's what you experientially know. And so if we have not experientially reckoned our sin as dead in Christ, experientially feeling and identifying that, then we just know about reckoning sin as dead. And we go about our lives as if we've done it when we haven't. Because it is dead. It's dead. The issue is our habit of thinking. This morning Bob was telling me about driving his tractor and if he turns the tractor around, now all the controls are backwards. So if you have a habit of moving and then you change it, it ah! But we just go through life, we brush our teeth, and we go through all these things we have habits for, and they're awesome, and they work for us, and it's great. And then we have habits that we just go through life, and it's not great. Because they cloud us to what has been already given. So let's look at contrasting these ways of ministry. If we're going to clarify that when we think about moving our thoughts, moving our beliefs into a place that is sanctified, aligned with God in perfection, what does that look like? If we don't understand it experientially, we're going to be doing what Paul talked about with the Galatians, where he said, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? You started in the spirit, but then you ended in the flesh. It's religion if we are not moving by the empowerment and the grace of the spirit. So contrasting that, if I feel like God has said to me, Didi, I'm putting my finger on this issue in your life. Okay, God. Now I better start doing it right. That's not it. That's the issue that's in my habit of thinking that I'm trying to change in the old man. Not possible, you guys. That habit needs to be recognized, I mean, and identified as buried experientially. <clears throat> Let me just read Second Corinthians. For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect. Because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away, but their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Spirit 
is the, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Amen, amen, amen. See, a veil remains when the Old Testament is read. And in a place where we are trying to do something in the old man, that veil remains. When we turn our hearts to the Lord in that issue, the veil comes off. And we can be empowered by the Spirit of God. I have a lot of scripture, so hang in here with me. Romans 8, 11 through 19. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are sons of God. And if sons, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if we indeed suffer with him, that we may be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons of God. Amen. (laughs) You see, I think the enemy was able to steal this understanding of the new man from the body of Christ. But it is poured back. This is what Graham Cook said about his own personal life and why God sent him here to America. Graham said that the Lord sent him to America to slay a religious dragon and awaken a sleeping giant. You see, when we really get hold that the old man has been crucified and we really identify with the truth of who we are, knowingly, experientially knowing that, we're going to usher in the second coming of the Lord. This is an amazing time to be alive, you guys. Amazing things are happening. So what does ministry look like then to the new man? Some people that... I've encountered who have the understanding of the finished work of the cross will move through different things and when the Holy Spirit is highlighting something they will say it's finished I don't need to deal with it I'm just not going to deal with it it's called denial actually it doesn't really work that's not what we're talking about because when the Lord is highlighting any issue in our life it's an invitation to move into him 
in relationship and know him. And he wants us to have experiential knowledge of him in that place where we know it's already done. It isn't a pushing away and then not dealing with it so we understand it. So that's one thing that it looks like. Three years ago, I was in the process of this, when I began to understand what the Lord had been trying to show me all these years, I was like, what have we been doing? I had a dream, and in the dream, someone who represents to me um, a teacher of the finished work of the cross doctrine was in an auditorium speaking to a lot of different people, and he was teaching on hooks and ties. And he begins to come down and mingle with the people and engage with them. And all of a sudden, he gets hooked and tied into the different questions and the different things. And he's getting quite annoyed and very aggravated and extremely frustrated. And I'm sitting in the audience thinking, he's teaching on hooks and ties. And he's totally getting hooked and tied into all of these conversations. And when I woke from the dream, I realized that just because you know about the finished work doesn't give you the tools you need to be unhooked and untied from the old man. Because old mindsets and lies, old root systems that we've learned to draw to ourselves, bitterness, anger, all sorts of things, because that's, that's the first thing we knew, and it's the first thing that happened, and so we, we have this root system. Those have to be cut. They have to be recognized. It's just what Bob was saying. Just because you declare freedom doesn't mean that you actually are in experiential freedom. We have free will, and God has given us free will. It's so important. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And so we get to choose now if we're going to believe what he says and the rhema words and the live words of the spirit that he's engaging us with is true or whether the old thought patterns and habits are true. How do we put on the new man? What does it look like to put on the new man? You see, we've already been given the new man. But we are instructed to put it on. And that is this process of experientially knowing who we are in Christ. Those are kind of buzzwords. And when you say them, blah, 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 they just go over us. I've heard it, I heard it, I heard it. But do we know who this new creation is in our hearts, individually? What it looks like is the first thing is we have to reckon what's dead and identify what's dead. And the second thing is we have to know what is alive in Christ. And that looks like, what do you think of me, God? Who do you say I am? What are the scriptures that the Lord has spoken to you that light your heart? Do we focus on them? Oh, that's nice. 
it's focusing on what God has said, the scriptures that are very meaningful, the things that make your heart alive, the dreams that he's given you in the night where he showed you something and your heart leapt up, the dreams that you think and imagine as you're pondering what things could be like and your spirit can soar. Those are the things that we gaze upon, that we look at, that we pay attention to. Who are the characters in our history? Who are the characters in the Bible that you resonate with? These are all a piece of who you have been created in Christ. And that needs attention, and that needs focus. I want to tell you a story that's in Genesis 30. It's an awesome story. It's the story of Jacob and Levin. He'd worked for Levin for 14 years because Levin had tricked him into working for him. At the end of 14 years, the Lord came to him in a dream and he said, I have seen you, Jacob, and I've seen the injustice of what's happened. And I am preparing you to go home. And he said, to, he said to Jacob, Do you notice all the flocks in the fields? That the rams who are leaping on the others are all spe- spotted, speckled, and streaked. And he began to show Jacob a plan. So Jacob goes to Levin and he says, I want to go home. And Levin says, Please stay. I want you to stay. Well, I need to have my own life. I need my own livelihood. I need to have my own life. Okay, what are your wages? Name them. I'll give them to you. Okay, this is what I'd like you to do. I would like you to take away all the spotted, streaked, and speckled and move them over there. And all tinge your solid color flocks. And I'll just take all the spotted and speckled and streaked. So then if any spotted, speckled, and streaked are found in your flocks, you'll know I have stolen them. Levin said, yes, I'll do that. Because genetically, in, in, they don't know about genes back then, but I'm saying he knew it's very unlikely that the solid-colored flocks are going to give birth to this speckled and spotted and streaked. It would be akin to, genetically, my daughter, Julie, who has married a black man, giving birth to a very fair-skinned child. So Levin is all excited about this, and it goes on. This is what Jacob did. He took the rods of three different trees, and he cut streaks, and he made spots, and he crisscrossed them, and he placed them in the trough where the flocks came to drink and to mate. And so while they're drinking and mating, they're looking at the streaks and the spots, and they are giving birth all to spotted, streaked, and speckled. You see, what we gaze upon in, in our heart, we give birth to. Neuroscience knows that in a highly emotional state, whatever image we're looking at has a 
lasting imprint, an altering effect on our genes even. If we are seeing ourselves as broken and as missing the mark and inadequate, and that's what we gaze upon, that's what we ponder, that's all we see, then that's what we're going to give birth to. I was watching a TED Talk, I don't know, a couple years ago. I love TED Talks because there's so much going on. There's so much knowledge. It's just exploding. There's so many people that have so many innovative, amazing ideas and discoveries. But I was listening to a neuroscientist who is, um, he's a neurosurgeon, and he's Indian. And he was describing his discoveries of what he's found in the brain. And how he found out some things is by looking at what was not working and then attributing to where that is located in your brain. And so they were studying this thing of phantom pain. What happens when we have limbs that get locked up in pain and the muscles are locked is that our brain sends signals, move, 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 and nothing happens. The brain keeps sending it, move, move, nothing happens. So the brain just gets into a habit, a pattern, that says the arm is locked, and it's not functioning, and it's in a lot of pain. Ding, ding, ding. So what doctors have tried to do in that situation is cut off the limbs to get rid of the pain. But the problem, sometimes that works. But the problem is, if that association has been ingrained in the thinking, then cutting off the limb does not work. The brain still thinks that the limb is locked up and it still feels the pain. So this neuroscientist had an idea. And he said, if I get a mirror and I show the person in a mirror that their limb is actually still there and whole, what will happen? And he did it. And the phantom pain went away. When I heard this, I was jumping up and down in my living room because I knew it was exactly about what we're talking about here. We live in a bunch of phantom pain. And let me just say, phantom pain hurts. It's very real. It hurts. But see, it has no source because the source of it has been crucified and is dead and buried in Christ. And when we can see the truth of that wholeness, the phantom pain is going to go away. I have two grandsons who I love so much. Aiden Christopher is five and a half years old, and we have a very, very special relationship. We play together, and we just enjoy each other all the days. And now I have a new grandson. His name is Trey. We call, his, his real name is James Butler III, 
but we call him Trey for short. And he is so adorable. He had his first birthday yesterday. But a couple weeks ago, I was in the kitchen, and I was talking baby talk to beautiful Trey. And Aiden was sitting next to me, and he kind of just grabs my face, and he says, Graham, look at me. I want you just to see me, Graham. You see, that's, that's what phantom pain does. It makes us believe that somehow we're under threat. Something can be taken from us. You see, I know in my heart there's nothing that Aiden could do that would make me stop loving him. But right there in that moment, I could see where he's missing an experiential knowledge of that. So I can tell him face to face, 80, your grand loves you and there's just nothing, nothing that's going to change that. And I can love Trey. And I can hold Trey in my heart and love him just like that favorite. He's my favorite without anything happen to you being my favorite. Graham Cook says that when we look at ourselves, we shouldn't see what is wrong, but what is missing in our experience with God. You see, Aiden will never experience anything except that my heart loves him. From now on, this will be the experience in relationship to Trey and however many other grandchildren I have. So as I'm talking, I'm just wondering, how do we see ourselves? And have we let the Spirit show us who we truly are? Let's just pray for a moment. Holy Spirit, I just welcome you to come and you're doing right now in each one of our lives, anything that you've placed your finger on in our lives to help us to see, to experience, to know how loved, how whole, how perfect we are. We just ask that you bring that to mind. The truth is, whatever that thing is, when Christ was lifted up on that tree, he totally took that. So Holy Spirit, would you just help us in reckoning that? It's the Lord's. We're one with him on the cross. We've been baptized there. It is yours. It's not mine anymore. You took it from me. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Now, Lord, I need to see 
who I am in that area of my life. I need to see how you see me. So Holy Spirit, would you just come and bring that revelation? of the spirit of our minds that we can see ourselves individually specifically exactly how you see us that you would remove the phantom pain that Jesus died to take from us thank you for the work of your spirit Lord, would you empower and embrace us to take hold of what you show us and believe you. In Jesus' name, amen.